Psalm 65, verses 5 through 8. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. In Bible times, it was commonly understood that roaring seas and storms and waves and all that was a symbol of chaos and even evil. Uh, You know, the Leviathan living beneath the waves and people didn't understand um, the waves other than, you know, to show that it was chaos. And there's an interesting verse here in Psalm 65, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. You see the psalmist equates the roaring of the seas with turmoil of the nations. I'm guessing that that was on the minds of people when they heard the story of Jesus in the boat, when he calmed the seas you know, the story, Mark chapter four, he's asleep uh, on the cushion in the boat and the storm suddenly comes up on the Sea of Galilee. And then I'll just read a couple of verses here from Mark four, verse 39. It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Uh, Jesus brought order to the chaos. You know, there was the appearance of evil stirring up this storm and chaos and all that it brought. And Jesus said, peace be said. He had authority over even the chaos. And that's what makes the disciples so afraid. They say, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. He has authority even over evil, even over chaos, even over the devil. Wow, who is this? And I guess like the practical takeaway for me is when I see chaos, when I see the fingerprints of the enemy, when I see evil, when I see the destructive force of Satan in my life, in our community, in the church, guess what? I can I can ask Jesus, the one who has authority over those things, to bring order, to bring peace, to bring resolution, and to call upon him, just like the disciples woke him up in the boat. Okay, Lord, I, we need you here. There's something coming against us. There's turmoil in the nation, so to speak. Will you come and speak peace to those waves. I wanted to uh, actually um, make a point about language because the storm becomes sort of a metaphor for the human condition. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that one of the things that has happened in the use of language in terms of what is being taught in schools is uh, what I, I'm just making this up, what I call the new literalism, new literalism. Hmm. And what that does is that creates actually a wall between the imagination that we all have uh, with the language that now does not include the imagination it only includes uh, one and one equals two two and two equals four etc kind of the literal more numeric way of looking at reality 
but anybody mm. that uh, and I I keep I keep just being amazed at what I see in the natural world, even at a Todd Point here in Greenwich. I watch these. Uh, I watch the ospreys, for example. I took pictures yesterday, or a few days ago, uh, on a nest of ospreys sitting in the middle of a pond on a, a statue of an eagle. And only recently, hmm. I saw that three baby ospreys, ospreys have been br brought into the world by the the parents, the two parent birds. And mm -hmm. what amazes me is how they know what they know. Hmm. And you you can't do it by having gone to kindergarten through uh, or going to Harvard. They had, I don't think any Osprey actually got into Harvard. <laughs> so they have a language that's embedded in who they are. And if you hmm. change that just a little bit, they're not gonna know how to build the nest. They're not gonna know how to take mm -hmm. care of the uh, chicklings. They're not going to know how to, and then teach them how to fly. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was up in Alaska with eagles. I mean, whoa. I mean, you're just talking about creation and, and how did they, yeah. how do they know what they know? And I right. think the language of the Bible actually gives us a hint, whether you call it the grammar mm -hmm. of God, the idiom of God, the songs of God, the poetry of God, the full counsel of God, or just the language of God. It's different than the language of the common mind, which mm -hmm. is a practical language of getting through the next day by getting the groceries and making sure this works and the car runs and get gassed up. And that is taken mm -hmm. over our thinking and the poetic mm -hmm. language of scripture has been left in the dust. And I think that that is one thing that this, this, this whole enterprise that you and I are engaged in is to bring back some semblance of the language of the poetic imagination that allows us mm -hmm. to see reality in a different light. Hmm. Yeah, you, you're inspiring me to go go for a hike soon, just to go <laughs> go to Alaska or go to Yellowstone or something. And just, I love the fact that you keep doing those hikes. Uh, well, they're they're, they're education. They're educations. It's not about hiking. Yeah, totally. It's about out no, it's there. Awesome. It's getting out it. of your comfort. I mean, you know, yeah. getting on an airplane. And beholding and beholding the creative order of um, the world. And not assuming we know what we're talking about. <laughs> because then it allows right. what you're looking at to be what it is. You're not imposing mm -hmm. upon it. Right. Pre yeah, presuppositions and, and 10th grade, you know, science. Hmm. You know, leave it alone. It's amazing in and in and in and of its own right. Period. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hmm.